morning, everyone. Hope you had a wonderful Easter weekend last weekend. Uh, we did. It was just very meaningful to uh, be together as a family and to worship Jesus and to just remember the incredible sacrifice that he made for you and I. We're continuing on this week in our established series. This week, we're going to be looking at God's indwelling spirit and what that means. We're going to uh, begin by looking at Acts chapter 1, read a little bit as kind of a backdrop, and then focusing on Acts chapter 2, which is the day of Pentecost, which I think is going to be a really exciting and rewarding uh, examination of the Spirit of God coming into that, uh, really birthing the Christian church. So let's look at Acts chapter 1. In my former book, Theophilus, isn't that a great name? I just think that's a, such a dignified name. I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and to teach until the day he was taken up to heaven, after giving instruction through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. After his suffering, he presented himself to them and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command, Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised which you have heard me speak about, the gift of the Holy Spirit. So wait, we're going to be talking about that a bit. So keep that in mind. You'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the very ends of the earth. After he said this, he was taken up before their very eyes, and a cloud hid him from their sight. Wouldn't that have been an incredible experience to see that? Wow. Okay, so this is the backdrop that Jesus has died, he's, he's risen again, and now he's leaving some instructions just before he leaves to wait for the Holy Spirit to come. And uh, this is what happens now in chapter 2. When the day of Pentecost came, so Pentecost is just 50 days after the Passover, which was fulfilled in Jesus, the sacrificial lamb who has taken away the sins of the world, this is now a harvest festival, the, um, the barley harvest has just been uh, reaped, and then they're planting for the wheat harvest. Uh, it says, so when the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly, so now you have wait, and now suddenly. Suddenly, a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each, uh, on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. What an incredible experience to, uh, to even witness, let alone be part of. What we see here is at least uh, three things that the Spirit looks like. So the first thing that he looks like is wind. It says that there was suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came and filled the whole house where they were sitting. So it's a wind. Now, we know both in Hebrew and in Greek that the word for spirit is wind or breath. And so this is clearly uh, a demonstration of the spirit of God blowing through that place and into them. And what we know about when the, when the wind of God blows, when the spirit of God blows, he always brings new life. We saw this in the Valley of Dry Bones in Ezekiel, where he breathed on those dry bones and they came to life. And then we especially see this in John chapter 3, 
when Jesus is talking with Nicodemus and talks about being born again, being born of the Spirit. So whenever the Spirit blows, whether it's uh, in the Valley of Dry Bones or in creation or even in his uh, coming upon Mary, wherever he is, he births new life. Amazing. So what we first see then, the first manifestation of the Spirit, is bringing them into a, into a brand new experience of being born again. And this rebirth is being birthed with a new father into a new family. So in, uh, I think in all cultures, there's a, there's a huge value on, on family, isn't there? Well, what this is signifying is actually the birthing of a brand new family that we now have, we're primarily identified as being one of God's sons and daughters, and the church is now our, our spiritual family. It's a, it's a radical statement of the significance of, um, of what happened on that day, that it's not just something that happened to us kind of personally, it's we now have a brand new way of relating to God as our Father, and we now have a new family called the church. I don't know that many of us uh, consider the significance of that. We've been talking for the past number of months about this idea of koinonia, fellowship first with God and then with one another. Well, this is what's being spoken about in this passage. So, number one, wind, the breath of life. Number two is they see uh, tongues of fire resting on each person. What does fire represent? Well, again, it's the, it's the presence of the Spirit of God. But what we see here particularly is a purifying presence. That we know that uh, what, um, what fire typically does, think of, uh, think of melting metal, it purifies metal. This is what's referred to in Malachi chapter 3, the refiner's fire. Uh, back in, it feels like my previous life, being a, a, a shop teacher, as I, as I trained for that, we did the casting of metal. And so we would heat up metal. All the dross would come to the surface. We'd scrape that off. And what would remain is pure metal. Well, this is what the Holy Spirit does to us. Now, let's link this to the first idea. So we're brought in to a new relationship with God. We're born again, born of the Spirit. And now we're purified, given a new heart, a new mind, so that we can engage in these new relationships. So we're not just given a relationship, we're given the means to engage in that relationship through the purifying work of the Holy Spirit. We have a new heart to love God and to love others. Again, this is tremendously good news that not only are we born again, but we're actually given the means by which to engage with God and others in a remarkably new way. In Jeremiah, it's referred again in, in Hebrews, that it says that God has written his law in our hearts. That it's not just some kind of um, functional relationship where we do what we're told. That actually the, the, the commands of God, the love of God, has, been, has transformed our very hearts. And now we engage with God and others in a brand new way. So wind, fire, and finally words or speech. Here's, uh, here's what we see. So it, it said that they spoke in, uh, in tongues, in other languages, as the Spirit enabled them. In verse 11, it says, to the, this is the crowd now, 
we hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. Now, uh, we talk about speaking in tongues. The word tongues is just really languages. They heard them speaking in languages. That's what the word means. But the reason why uh, most translators don't just say languages is because there's a certain dimension to this language that's supernatural, that's beyond just normal talking. What some commentators will say is that uh, what they spoke was the languages of all the people around them. And it's a long list of all the different cultures and languages that were there. Uh, but this doesn't, really, uh, this doesn't really sync up with what we read in verse 11 and elsewhere. It says, we hear them declaring the oneness of God in our own tongues. So, we hear them. So, it's not like one person is speaking in one language and another person is speaking in another language. Everyone is hearing everyone who is speaking in tongues in their own language. So the best way to understand this is that we see two gifts in operation, two gifts of the Spirit. The first is the speaking in tongues, and the second is the interpretation of tongues, that they were actually able to hear them in their own language, that God gave them a, uh, a spiritual ability to hear spiritual words in their own language. Very powerful. But notice what they hear. They hear them declaring the wonders of God. There's only two times in Scripture when the content of tongues is described. Here in Acts chapter 2 and also in 1 Corinthians 14, where it talks about when people speak in tongues, they're praising God. So I love this because it's the idea that God is so magnificent, so glorious, there's no human words that can capture his beauty and splendor. And so God gives us uh, a spiritual language to declare to him how beautiful and wondrous he really is. So this new language then is not so much a language, uh, a human language, it's a spiritual language, and it's the language of worship. That's the new language that God has given us, a language of worship. Now here's where it gets very interesting. This new language of worship is the witness that we give to the world. We declare to the world the wonder and praises of God. This most practically is in the gift of tongues, but it actually doesn't stop there. That as Peter then stands up and addresses the crowd, now his own tongue, his own language, carries with it spiritual power that is, uh, that is uh, so compelling, it convicts them to the very core of their being. They were pierced to the heart and they repented and came to believe in the Lord Jesus. So tongues is our personal worship of God and it's a sign that God has transformed our words, transformed our language and speech to declare the magnificence of God in such a way that it actually convicts other people's hearts just in the same way that the Spirit convicted our hearts. So this is absolutely tremendous. Um, so when it says that, that um, when God's power will come upon us and we will be his witnesses, that power is the ability to testify to the world who God is in a way that changes them. This is in direct contradiction 
to the languages that we read about in Babel, in Genesis, where God gave them now a diversity of languages so that they couldn't understand each other. What most commentators say is that the gift of tongues is the opposite of, of Babel, you know, babbling, uh, but it's the opposite of Babel, where now there's words spoken that unify, that bring us into a right relationship with God and with others. It's a, it's a word of reconciliation. It's a language of reconciliation that we have been spiritually empowered to speak. Isn't that exciting? Uh, 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 there's a, um, a story of, of D.L. Moody, and he's a, a famous evangelist at the turn of the 19th century. Incredibly powerful speaker. Now, listen to him describe his spirit, his experience of being filled with the Spirit. And we'll see a correlation to what we've read in Acts chapter 2. So, his, uh, just to give a, a bit of a backdrop, his building was destroyed in Chicago uh, by the, the great Chicago fire. He goes now to New York to try to raise some money to rebuild the church. And he's trying to seek financial help. And he's, he's walking the streets, not just looking for financial help, but really desperate for the Spirit of God. And here's what he describes happened in New York City. One day in the city of New York, oh, what a day. I cannot describe it. I seldom refer to it. It is almost too sacred an experience to name. I can only say that God revealed himself to me and, uh, and had such an experience of his love that I had to ask him to stay his hand. Wow being so overwhelmed by the power and presence of God and the love of God. I went to preach again. The sermons, now listen to this, the sermons were not different. I did not present any new truths, and yet hundreds were converted. I would not now be placed back where I was before that blessed experience if you should give me all the world. It would be small dust in the balance. Wow. The Spirit of God came on him in such a way that these words, these natural words, now had, had spiritual power behind them, enabling him to deliver a message that, uh, that transformed the hearts of his hearers. This is incredible. Absolutely incredible. I remember, I've, I've, if you've taken transformations, you will have heard this story, when something very similar happened to me, where God's Spirit touched me in such a way I was intoxicated in his, uh, uh, by his spirit. I couldn't really move very well and was <laughs> uncoordinated. And, uh, but what was significant about that is that after that moment, I would speak to people in the same way that I always did, but it seemed to have a different kind of power in that people were actually coming to Christ by my message uh, because God was filling those inadequate human words with his supernatural presence. So, uh, so this is what we receive upon uh, being filled with the Spirit of God. We receive a new relationship, a, 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 a relationship with God that has been radically transformed from a distant relationship to now where we call God Abba Father that through the work of Christ and by the power of the Holy Spirit, we're born again with a new father into a new family. And then we're purified by the Spirit of God to engage in those relationships. 
where our hearts have been transformed. We're not just trying harder to be a nice person. We've been changed from the inside out, enabling us to engage in relationship in a radically different way, where love has been birthed in our heart. And now we want to engage in sacrificial and in self-giving ways. And then finally, he gives us new words so that this relationship that we now experience with God, we can now communicate and share with others. We can testify. We can be a witness of what God has done for us. We're able to describe that in such a way that they now are able to engage in that exact same relationship. Powerful. These are the dimensions of being uh of being filled or, or baptized in the Holy Spirit. So let me ask you then, which of these three do you need today? Do you need to have a new relationship with God? One that isn't just uh, hearing about a stranger, but you actually have a living, dynamic relationship with God. You know him personally as your Heavenly Father. Is that what you need today? If you've never received Jesus, as your Lord and Savior, this is your day. God will come to you, visit you, transform your heart, give you a new relationship with him. Do you, uh, do you need that, that purification, that you have a relationship with God, but the love of God does not seem to be birthed in your soul the way that you would long? That it still seems as though God is distant. My love for others is mostly on my own terms. That when I speak to others, it's just about me trying to be a good person. Does your heart need to be purified? Does the commands of God need to be, uh, need to be uh, birthed in your heart? Or do you need to have your speech revolutionized, filled with the Spirit of God? Are you hungry to have, when you speak, the, the, the Bible describes Jesus as when he speaks, he spoke as one having authority. Authority meaning that when he spoke, uh, demons fleed. People were healed of diseases. They repented from their hearts. His words had spiritual power. Is that what you need today? Well, God offers all of these things through the empowering presence of his spirit. So let's then ask, when are these gifts of the Spirit given to us. When does this happen? Well, we read that it happened suddenly. There was a moment when everything changed. There was a moment in my life when a friend prayed for me and I was filled with the Holy Spirit in a new way. This doesn't just need to happen once. It can happen time and again. But it's a moment. It's an experience of God visiting us in supernatural power. But what's important to understand is this, this suddenly moment came after a waiting moment. Uh, waiting is the precondition to an experience of the presence of God in and through us. Now, uh, waiting is a huge theme in the Bible. And impatience is noted as being one of the primary ways we disobey God and, in a sense, miss his coming, miss seeing him move in supernatural power in our daily lives. It's a really big deal. Uh, so what is waiting? What does it mean? Do you just kind of, you know, 
just wait and twiddle your thumbs and, and just hope that something, it's, it's an active idea. It's not passive, it's active. But it's a non-anxious presence to receive. You see, what, call, what causes us to, um, to run after things quickly is anxiety. We're afraid. We're afraid of being out of control. We're afraid that God won't answer prayers. We're afraid of, um, of whatever the situation is that's either threatening us emotionally or physically. And so what anxiety wants us to do is to, is to take matters into our own hands. Don't wait for God to do something. He's spiritual and far away and probably really busy. And so we should do something ourselves. And in our anxiety, we do kind of a quick fix. But what ends up happening is as we take matters into our own hands, we no longer have open hands to receive what the Spirit of God wants to do in that moment. And so what waiting is, is learning to wait for God versus fix things ourselves. This waiting can happen, it can take years, it can take seconds. It's an attitude of the heart that says, I'm going to trust more in what you can do in a moment than what I can manufacture in my own strength. It's a big deal. In Isaiah 40, verse 31, this is in the New American Standard Version, those who wait for the Lord, it's interesting that in the NIV is translated those who hope for the Lord. So we see hope and wait uh, being very closely related to one another. It's an eager anticipation of what God's going to do, but it's an anticipation that isn't trying to make something happen. It's receiving this, preparing our hearts to receive what God's going to do. Those who wait for the Lord will gain new strength, not their own strength, a supernatural strength. They will mount up with wings like eagles. They will run and not get tired. They will walk and not become weary. Wow, what an outstanding promise. What is that promise conditional upon? Our willingness to wait, to create space in our heart, to prepare our hearts to receive the empowering presence of the Holy Spirit to wait for him to be our savior instead of trying to fix things ourselves. So what is the result that we see when the Spirit of God came 2,000 years ago? About 3,000 were added to their number that day. Dramatic uh, conversions. Dramatic. After that, we saw, uh, we, we read in Acts of people being healed and delivered from demons, doing the exact same things that Jesus did when he was on earth, because we have his same spirit. Powerful, powerful. Can we uh, wait to receive that kind of power? Or do we try to be clever and make things happen and manipulate things and try to be more impressive? No, we need the power and presence of God in our life to, to birth a new relationship with God in us, to transform our hearts, and then to renew our speech, that we could invite people in and demonstrate what we've experienced now through our words uh, can now be demonstrated the power and presence of God so that others will, will be healed and receive new life. Wow. So God invites us to need the Holy Spirit so much that we will resist all alternatives. You know, uh, uh, think about your, your daily Bible reading. How, is, how important is this to you? 
How, is import, how important is it to you to pray? It seems as though the things that God asks us to do are waiting kinds of activities. That we, not every time we read the Bible is it an incredible moment. Not every time do we pray does something instantly change. Sometimes it's true, but not always. Sometimes we, we pray for seasons of time. And what's going on in that season is a time of preparation to receive the answer to the prayer. It's not God testing us and, and you know, seeing whether we're good enough to deserve being blessed by him. No, he's, he's preparing our hearts to receive what he's always longed to give us. But sometimes our hearts and minds are so full of thinking how we're going to make it happen and how, what we're going to do, that those things, it takes time for those things to be cleared away so that there's space for God to do what only he can do. And so uh, the, the, the encouragement for today is will you let, uh, will you create space for the Spirit of God to do in your life and through your life, what only he can do. Will you raise your expectations of a more intimate relationship with God, of a heart that's been purged of self-centeredness, that we have words and actions that carry spiritual power? Will you long for that? Will you wait for that? Will you hope for that? Because as you do, you're creating space for God to answer those prayers Change your relationship with him. Change your heart. Change how you impact others. This is worth waiting for. We read D.L. Moody saying, um, I would not be placed back where I was before that blessed experience. If you should give me all the world, it would be small dust in the balance. That all of our clever ideas are like dust compared to what God wants to do through his spirit in our life. Let us be hungry for this. God, we ask that you would increase our appetite for the empowering presence of the Holy Spirit, that we would long for the wind and breath of the Spirit of God to birth new life in us. We would long for the fire of God to purify our hearts, and we would long for heavenly speech to change our words from mere earthly words to words that carry supernatural power a spiritual language of praise and worship that transforms everyone around us. As we declare your, uh, who you are in such a way that actually changes reality. God, help us to, to long for these things, to hold out for these things, and not to run after some, some other alternative. So we present our lives to you. We present our hearts to you. We ask that you would transform our speech because it's you that we long for and it's you alone that we hope in because only you can change our lives and the lives of those around us. As we enter into worship and, and prayer, I would encourage you to let this time be a time of receiving the empowering presence of God. Ask God to touch your heart. We're going to be having a, uh, a foyer uh, time after this service on a Zoom call. 
And I, uh, come and join us. There'll be opportunity for us to pray together, to ask some questions about this text, and to really together believe that God would move in power in our lives and that we would see personal and social transformation happen. God bless you.